This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Okay, so today I'm very excited. I have with me Amy Berger. She is a fellow NTP, but she is also a certified nutrition specialist. She has a master's in nutrition. I had a pleasure talking with her. She is more known in the keto space, but she's low carb and she just tries to simplify keto to a way that it is a lifestyle without any dogmas. We talk about weight gain and weight stalls on a low carb ketogenic diet and even on a carnivore diet. I can't wait for you guys to get into. You know, all the conversations, and you take to heart some of the things we talk about. I also read her book, The Stall Slayer. I recommend it. It's a PDF, it's a pretty easy read, and it talks about ways that you can focus on healing your stalling. All right, let's get right into it. Hey guys, this is Judy from Nutrition with Judy, and today I am very excited. I have Amy with me. She is a certified nutrition specialist. She has a master's degree in、um, human nutrition, and she is also a U.S. Air Force veteran. So, Amy, if you can actually、um, introduce yourself. Sure, yeah. So,、um, all of that is true, everything you said. <laughs> And、um, my, my story I mean, if people want to know how I got into this whole nutrition, and especially the low carb and ketogenic angle of nutrition, I came into it like a lot of people do. I,、um, I was a career changer, I, I didn't do like dietetics or nutrition in undergrad.、Um, I was trying to fix my own issues. And, My own, the biggest issue I had was that I was overweight. And I never had like morbid obesity, but I was chubby. And I was chubby despite doing all the right things, eating my whole grain cereal with my skim milk and my light margarine on my whole wheat bread and、uh, lots and lots of running. I wasn't afraid of a workout. And I just could not lose the weight no matter how hard I worked. And、um, I found the Atkins book. I stumbled upon the Atkins diet way back in the day when I was new to this. It was actually many years ago before you know, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, Instagram, none of that even existed when I found low carb. And I feel fortunate about that because when I was new, there was much, much less information, which was like made it more difficult, but there was a lot less misinformation and a lot less confusing and conflicting information. But 
Anyway, of course, I tried a low-carb diet, and it worked beautifully, and I loved it. I liked that I got to eat delicious foods, and I could still lose weight. And um, in after being in and out of a lot of jobs that I just didn't find fulfilling or satisfying, I realized, hey, like, nutritionist is a, is a career. Maybe I could do that, you know? So um, I went back to school to get formal education in nutrition, and so now I help other people try to improve their health and lose weight if that's one of their goals. With um, I, I do specialize in low-carbon ketogenic diets, but that's not the only thing I do. And, you know, I've, I've had clients that I recommend eat more carbs, so it just really depends on the person's situation. But now um, I do work with clients, but I also do some freelance writing, and uh, I've written a couple of books. Right. And you, you have a new book out, right? So I know you're, um, you're well known in the keto space and I, I guess in the medical space for your Alzheimer's diet uh, book. And we can talk about that in a little bit, but I know you have a book on a you know, very hot topic about weight stalls on keto, right? So there's even in the carnivore space, there's this like, oh, the low carb keto carnivore diet is this like silver bullet, this magical diet that will end all your sugar addictions and cravings and then also help you to be the thinnest you could ever be without ever worrying about food again. And um, obviously that's not fully true. And so you wrote a book recently and if you can kind of talk about what your book um, talks about and some of the, some of the tips you talk about. Yeah. Thank thank you for asking. It's um, the book is called the stall slayer and people can find it at stallslayer.com. Right now, it is just a PDF, so it's only an electronic format now. I just recommend get the PDF, read it electronically, or if you want a hard copy. I'm old-fashioned. I like to read things on paper. You can just print it out at home. There's, a, there's two versions. There's one that's more printer-friendly. There is a plan to have a print-on-demand on Amazon and a Kindle version that doesn't exist yet. Hopefully, that's going to come in the next couple of weeks or months, but yeah, the Stall fat loss or, or difficulty losing fat on low-carb or keto is the number one reason people write to me for help. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you said exactly, people think that keto is just this magical weight loss thing. And for many people, it is. For many people, it just works. It works the first time. They just read one book. They follow the plan, and it's great. And for many, many other people, it's not quite that easy. And I've, I've even heard somebody say, I wish I could take credit for this phrase because it's so great, but I didn't come up with it. Keto, or you can insert whatever diet, you can insert low carb or carnivore, will make you as thin as you can be, but that might not be as thin as you want to be. Meaning that if you stick to whatever protocol you're following, it will get you to a certain point. If you're still not satisfied you're either going to have to take more drastic measures to, to force your body into an unnaturally thin or lean state that it doesn't want to be at, or however you were approaching keto or carnivore or low carb, you need to change something up a little because it's not quite the strategy you need to get that last bit of fat off. Everything you said makes sense. Um, one thing that a lot of people talk about is, so, uh, you know, on a carnivore diet, and since there's a lot of, um, since there's no carbs, essentially, most people are in a low form of keto ketosis. Um, they may not be in the higher ranges, depending on how much protein they eat, etc. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are older that are now trying the carnivore diet. Maybe they've done yo-yo dieting for so many years. Maybe they've used exogenous like HRTs and uh, what I've come to see is that you know some people might have like 50 to 80 pounds to lose which is a significant amount right and 
Um, I, I noticed it's because they've yo-yo dieted. So they've eaten only like 1200 calories their whole life. And now trying to eat a more, I guess, sustainable way for in terms of nutrition, it's um, now they're, they'll have to gain weight or um, their metabolic rate is damaged or their hormones need support. Um, are those some of the things that you've also dealt with? Um, Yes, but I have, I have to be honest, I don't work with a lot of strict carnivore diet or people, most of the people coming to me are doing keto or low carb, so they are eating some plant foods. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think, and, and there's a whole chapter in, in my book, actually, about the difference between weight and fat. Because especially like you were saying, you know, this could happen to, to men and women, but particularly for women, who were spending years and years forcing themselves into a very low calorie diet, ex, you know, over exercising. And so they've lost a lot of muscle mass because your body needs nourishment from somewhere to just to keep you alive. And if you're not getting enough of it from your diet, it's going to break down your own tissue. Yes. And so if you've lost a lot of muscle, then your metabolic rate is slower. And if you eat more food, you're going to gain some fat. And, and the, but the thing is, too, you absolutely cannot solely look at the scale. Because if you've lost a lot of muscle mass, you might have lost bone mass, connective tissue, who knows what, that now that you're starting to eat, maybe either more food or higher quality, like higher nutrient food, that you're getting things you haven't been getting all these years, you could be rebuilding all of this critical tissue that you've lost. And your scale weight is either going to stay the same or maybe even go up, right. but your physique could be changing. You could either be getting smaller, getting leaner, or there might be, and again, I'm not an expert on carnivore specifically, but there might be some period of time where your body is just like, oh, thank goodness I'm getting fed again. I'm just going to hold on to this for a while before I am able to see that now there's enough food, I'm no longer starving, it's okay for me to let go of this fat. Um, so I think if you know that your sort of diet history is not the healthiest, you have to brace yourself for the fact that your fat loss process is not going to be linear. It's not just going to be this super easy you know, constant slope downward until you arrive at your goal. And even, even if you have a better history, it's normal for the weight loss to be up and down in little blips. And then you plateau a little bit, maybe you gain a little bit, plateau, lose a bunch. And the whole curve, it's up and down and up and down and up and down. But as long as over the long term, that trend is downward, that's what matters. But if you're going to step on that darn scale every single day, you're going to get, you're going to let those little fluctuations drive you crazy. And those fluctuations are not always body fat. They could be water, you know, women with the menstrual cycle, right. you could lose, I could like, I could take a big poop and lose two pounds. I mean, like it's, it's not body fat. And so Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful.
No, that's good. I think that's really yeah. good to talk about the delineation between weight and fat because I mean, I always have to tell my clients, our bodies are 60% water, which that's a lot of our um, weight too. And so, you know, in a day we can gain or lose five pounds easily. And so um, I always recommend people not to also weigh themselves. And so I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think even in the carnivore space, I mean, I, I don't perceive that the carnivore and keto diet is that different, especially if you're doing keto from a more, you know, like um, whole foods basis, not, you know, using as much of the keto treats and such. Um, and, and so in that same vein, I think carnivore as well, um, if you haven't been feeding your body nourishing foods, which I think almost everyone is coming from a standard American diet at one point, your body will try to hold on to that fat. Like you're saying, some of the fat may have toxins in it and may not want to release for those reasons. And so, um, you know, in your book, what are some tools that you talk about? Um, I guess if, if someone has stalled, right. So, um, the first thing, like, like the first part of the book is, are you actually stalled? You know, going two or three days without losing weight is not a stall. Like, that's just normal. That's just, hi, you're human. Welcome to the club. Um, stalls are measured in, like, months. They're not even really measured in weeks because it's, it's normal. It's not even that it's, like, something is wrong. It's, it's normal to, to maintain for a little bit and lose and maintain again and lose. That's normal. Um, and it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. So depending on how long you've been at the same weight. And a stall is not just about the scale. It's because you're, you may have had clients like this or our colleagues have had clients like this where the scale weight doesn't change at all, yet somebody loses a dress size or loses a jean size because your body composition is shifting. You could be losing fat and gaining muscle so that the number on the scale hasn't changed at all, but you are smaller. So if you are losing inches, guess what? You're not stalled. I don't care what the scale says. You are not stalled. Um, so that the first thing is like, are you actually installed? And it's, it's also important because I think we also see this a lot in, in the nutrition and, and health space in general, is, is your perception of your size or shape correct or healthy? Because I, you know, every now and then I get a client who comes to me about weight loss and they're actually already at a perfectly normal weight, maybe even on the underweight side. And I'll say, listen, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I think you would have to do something unhealthy to lose more weight that I don't endorse. And I can't really be a party to that. So really it's like, do you actually have weight to lose or are you actually already where you're perfectly fine? And maybe, and this is why I, I don't even like people to have a goal weight because sure. if you fix a number in your mind, let's say you get to that number and now you're still miserable. Mm -hmm. Or let's say you don't, let's say you're five pounds above that number, but you look like dynamite, you feel great, your health is great, everybody thinks you are wonderful, and you're going to feel like a failure because you are five pounds above the goal, the arbitrary goal that you set for yourself. Right. right. So like all of that has to be taken care of first. Then if you're actually in a stall, <laughs> um, then you, you have to look at your diet. Now, if, if you're talking about the carnivore diet, one of the main issues isn't a problem because one of the main issues I see on keto is just too many carbs. Mm -hmm. People don't realize they're actually overdoing the carbs compared to where they personally need to be to keep the weight moving. And it could be a factor 
for some of the carnivores, I mean, you know, we can talk about the addiction piece in a bit, but I would imagine it's not uncommon that people are doing their best to stick to carnivore, but then at midnight, mm, I'm, oh, I'm going to, those cookies are calling my name or, you know, on the Friday night, oh, I've been so good all week. I'm going to have the thing. And they don't realize how those little things really can interrupt the process. So even, even on a carnivore diet, if someone's not like, not to be harsh about it, but if somebody's kidding themselves, they think right. they're doing a strict carnivore diet and they're kind of like, yeah, I'll just have a little bite of that and I'll have a bite of that starchy thing too. Um, and then, you know, with, with keto, one of the biggest issues is just simply too much fat. And people don't realize that there's really, I don't believe in macros. I don't believe in percentages because it's not like, oh, if I just eat 80% fat, then it's perfect and the ratio and my body's going to drop fat. You know, what makes fat loss, like what makes a diet ketogenic is not eating tons and tons of fat. It's not eating the carbs. That's, that's what helps the fat burning happen. And so I see people overdoing because they think they're supposed to have some type of specific percentage of fat in their diet or a certain number of grams of fat. So even if they're not hungry, they're going to add extra butter to things or put oil in their coffee because they think they're supposed to. Sure. And, and that works for some people, right? Some people do really well with the ultra high fat. A lot of people don't. And, you know, if, especially if you have a great deal of weight that you're looking to lose, the more fat you're eating, the less of a need your body has to tap into that stored body fat, you know? So the, those are the two biggest things that I see. Sure. So a, a couple things. Um, so one, personally for myself, I was doing keto for a year. And then I noticed that for me, just having the allowance of keto treats on bad days would make me totally eat like the sad diet again. And so that's why I tried carnivore. It worked for me and I kind of stuck on to it for about a, two years now. Um, but one thing I noticed is uh, I, I came from a pescatarian. So I primarily only ate vegetables and then I had fish. And even when I did keto, I did it that way. Um, but one thing I noticed is when I eat too much protein in one meal, um, my glucose numbers actually go up. So like if I eat more than like a pound of meat, I'll check the glucose right before I eat. And let's say it's in the 80s. And then I check it two hours after I eat. And it's sometimes it's in the 115s and that and literally no carbs in the meal. And so mm -hmm. I know now that for me personally, um, eating too much protein and maybe not enough fat um, it does actually spike my sugars, um, my glucose. And I know a lot of people don't believe that gluconeogenesis happens unless it's, um, you know, on demand. But I think when we consume too many amino acids and our body is not able to break down the protein to amino acids, I do think some people have a more higher like insulin response. Um, yeah, I, I think, like I said, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a carnivore expert. I really kind of do more keto, but I do think that I think it's an individual thing because clearly there are some people like if you know who Siobhan Huggins is, she seems to do oh, yeah. well with the much higher fat sort of low, not low protein, but kind of watching the protein intake right. and just emphasizing the fat. I think Amber O'Hearn is the same way, sort of doing a higher fat. Um, and then there's other people that just will sit down to a, you know, a 20 ounce porterhouse steak and they're good to go. So I, I think it is individual, but I think within the carnivore rather than keto i do think some people probably can um can run into trouble there with too much protein but nor like it 
too much protein is such a relative term. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say is, so I, I think some people, so one thing is, I think people, whether it's keto, whether it's carnivore, I think people have these expectations because a lot of times we find these diets by reading a lot of social media, you know, seeing pictures and it's like, oh, if I do these kind of extreme diets, then I can look like that person, like you said, in your, um, your one talk that you can be a size two, right? Um, and so you have these kind of dreams or expectations that if I eat this way for two, three months, I am going to shed all this weight and look like a size two, I may not even have to work out that type of thing. And then two, for carnivores, I think a lot of reasons why some carnivores um, gain weight is over time, you can increase your appetite. And so you may first start carnivore and eat only like half a pound or a pound. But then you start if you don't, you know, as we talked about the food addictions, or we're going to talk about, um, if you don't manage that food addiction, coping with foods, you may end up eating a whole block of cheese. It's still carnivore, but you can overeat cheese, right? Or you can right. overeat sausages. And I mean, all those sausages, a lot of them have like trace carbs, but they can add up or adding a lot of heavy cream, which again has carbs. So I totally see what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of carnivores can eat a lot of the processed meats and the cheeses. And that's how basically if you eat too many calories, you actually can gain weight. Even if yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know we, we hate the C word that's, and I hate it too, but so I, I prefer the word energy, like energy intake, which is literally the same thing. It's just semantics, but I just, no, no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, yeah, I prefer talking about energy, but no, you're right. I mean, at some point energy intake does matter. You know, you can't, you do have to have some kind of a deficit and suppose, so there's different angles and different schools of thought. Supposedly the, um, you know, a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet because of, of the insulin being so low hypothetically, and, and you're just have such a good fat burning, your appetite is so controlled that you naturally eat less and right. it's the eating less that leads to the weight loss. And I, I get that, but I also know that, you know, there've been, I, I've been up and down in weight. I've never regained everything that I had lost initially. But you know, I've, even like in, in looking at my own YouTube channel at the thumbnails, I can see sometimes I'm bigger, <laughs> sometimes I'm smaller. Um, because I, I do think they used to call it a metabolic advantage that okay. the state of ketosis have like literally at the biochemical level because of gluconeogenesis or beta oxidation, these, these biochemical processes that happen that actually require more energy to even make them happen, you sort of burn more calories just by being in a fat burning state. So you, you kind of, you can eat more and lose less. Oh, I mean, sorry, eat more and still sure. lose more. Yeah. Then, um, and I, I do think that advantage exists. And I've heard Dr. Eric Westman say it does exist, but it's less than we thought. It's like 100 calories a day or 200 calories a day. It's not some kind of huge amount where you can sit down and eat a pound of blue cheese and still lose weight. Right. But I, I do think, I think there is an advantage, and I think it's a fairly sizable advantage because of my own. I have an overeating tendency of, of keto foods. I could eat that family size bag of pork rinds. Is it zero carb? Yeah. Is it zero calorie? No. And I, but I'm absolutely convinced that if I were eating the same energy, the same total energy in high carb foods, I'd probably gain more weight Agreed. than I gain overeating on keto foods or than somebody would overeat, gain overeating purely meat or sausage. Yes. No, absolutely. I think a lot of the 
also because we're not kind of disrupting insulin so much, we will feel more satiated eating like pork rinds over chips. But, you know, there's like, as we were talking, and we can talk about the food addiction now, but um, I, I think some of the tools that, you know, a lot of people should kind of also look into while shifting their diets into these, you know, into keto or carnivore is also why are we using food as a maybe coping mechanism, right? Why are we wanting to turn to food when we're sad, mad, happy, et cetera? Um, Because no matter what diet you do at first, when it's new, it's so easy to follow. You see the benefits, the quick weight loss, and you're like, wow, this, this is it. I found, I found the, you know, the ticket. Um, But then over time, when the diet becomes normalized and then you have a bad day, if you've always kind of turned to eating junk food or overeating, then that, that won't go away if you don't change those habits. Right. I think that's something you talk about, right? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't talk about it in the new book. That's kind of a glaring omission. I mean, maybe that's my (laughs) next book, but yeah, it's something that we don't, as a community, we don't really talk about enough that, um, you know, I also think that, and and I did a video about this a while back, there are some people trying to use a diet to fix non-diet problems. Yes. You know, like, like, oh, if I can just get my macros right, or if I can just carnivore harder, that doesn't fix your unhappy marriage. That doesn't fix your relationship with your boss. It doesn't make you like your job anymore. Like if there's something else in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, Grant, like, here's the thing, though. If you have some type of like depression, anxiety, whatever, because keto and carnivore are so good for so many people for helping mood stabilization and even like giving you the confidence to make other changes in your life. So in that respect, a diet change can affect the rest of your life, but you still have to do the footwork there. If, you know, it's like if only it were that easy, like, oh, if I can just get into ketosis, then the whole rest of my life is going to solve itself. I mean, it doesn't. So I, I think some of us are kind of hoping that the diet will fix other things in our lives and it's not. And so those other things in our lives are still affecting our food, you know, our food choices or maybe the amount of food that we eat. Um, and I say we, cause guess what? I'm right there too. Like I don't, I don't have this all figured out. Um, and and, you know, to, to, to sort of piggyback on what we were saying before, like people start these diets because of what they see on social media. And I am not accusing anyone of anything here, but you only see what people show you. You see the pictures they take. You see them smiling over their big bowl of kale and their big steak and life is perfect. You don't see maybe the turmoil that's going on behind the scenes that whether they're they're cheating on the diet or they're exercising four hours a day or or what have you is going on um you know just don't necessarily believe everything that you see because we don't know what's going on behind closed doors we don't know what's happening when the phone and the camera is away yes no i want to just add to that i mean all my clients that i work with that you know, whether they do keto or carnivore, most of them do carnivore, um, they get all the benefits, right? So they're sleeping through the night. Um, some of them get their cycle back. There's a bunch of things. Um, they don't have the mood dysregulations. But the one thing that may stall is the weight loss. And then they start getting frustrated with the diet, even though they've got off all these meds and all these things, right? Um, and it's because so many social media, I guess, 
influencers or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, they show these great physiques and they say, hey, meat healed everything, including giving me this like six pack or this really skinny body. And I think without knowing, we have these expectations going into these diets. And I think if we, you know, and this is why I wanted to talk to you, but um, or one of the reasons, but, you know, if we go into these diets with more of a healing mindset and then kind of let the weight be the last to kind of chips fall where they may type of thing, and then maybe use levers, whether it's fasting, whether upping the protein, whatever you want to do later on as you heal, then so be it. But um, I think when we all go in thinking that we're going to be a size two in the end, when that may not be realistic, I, I think is causing more harm than it's helping initially, right? Yeah. And it, it's weight is such a touchy, you know, we're so weight focused in our society and so visually oriented that, you know, people do so easily forget like, oh, well, I, I got off my insulin and I got off my antacid and my thyroid medicine is less and, and but oh, the diet's not working. <laughs> I'm still heavy or whatever, right? Um, and I, I think I see a lot of sort of fitness coaches and keto coaches where, frankly, they claim to be over their issues, over their addictions, over their food obsession, over the, the head game. And they are so not over it because literally every single picture they post is them working out or them muscle. And their whole life yeah. is the food, the gym, the lifting, the mirror. It's their whole life. I'm sorry, you are not over this by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and no, I, I just, I think so many, so many of us, I think our clients are like almost afraid to say, you know, I ate, I ate a piece of bread or like if, in the carnivore world, maybe someone could say, well, I, I ate some broccoli or they're afraid because other people are so quick to just, oh, well, you're, you're not carnivore anymore. Or like, why did you do that? You're doing it wrong. And we're just ashamed because like to, to admit that something happened and, and it shouldn't be that way. I'm so, I'm, I don't like what I see happening now in, right. in the community. It's so judgmental and so just so ugly. And, and we should be a lot more empathetic and more understanding because frankly, I think there's a lot more people who struggle then who sail through perfectly, except all you see is the people sailing through perfectly because everybody's too afraid to admit, you know, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. And not, not even just because of like, right now with the virus, everybody's, you know, there's a lot of stress going on and people's lives have been really turned around. But even when things are totally normal, right, it's hard enough to do this for some people. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when people feel like the diet's not working as they expected, it's because they don't have as much willpower, or maybe they're eating too much, you know, those types of things, and then they get hard on themselves. And then, you know, it puts their body in that stress mode, the adrenals start, you know, overworking, and it's much more complicated than that. And I mean, I tell my clients that, um, especially the ones that really want to lose the weight, and they're kind of frustrated that they're not losing the last five or 10, 15 pounds. And, you know, I tell them that um, it's not the carnivore diet, it's really like, you know, the Jane diet, it's what works for you and what works for you long term, like, no one's going to be by your deathbed and go, you know what, you don't get the carnivore diet award, because you didn't follow it properly. It's, it's absurd, right. And it's unfortunate, because, and this is why I want to shed light, because there's so many healing properties in these diets. But when we focus on maybe the wrong things, we kind of 
have people move away from it and then possibly go back to a standard American diet, which is not beneficial for anyone, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book with with one of the keto doctors about how to find your own carbohydrate tolerance sweet spot. Because okay. not everyone needs keto, right? Not everyone needs carnivore. Clearly, these are very, very therapeutic and very helpful for a number of things for a lot of people, but not everyone needs to be quite so strict. Right. And I also think that um, this could be said for both carnivore and keto. It's almost like it's a healing diet, right? that you could choose to follow for the whole rest of your life if you want to. But let's say you have, you know, like keto is good for so many things. And then taking that one step further with carnivore seems to be really good for like autoimmune, really bad digestive stuff, like things that a lot of these people did keto and they got better, but there was still kind of something going on. And then when they went full carnivore, it fully resolved. And I feel like you can maintain that for life if you want to, but I also think do that for a year or two or three, and then you're literally not the same person you were when you started. Your metabolic syndrome is gone, your diabetes is gone, whatever. Maybe it's time to play around and not to go back to like 300 grams of carbs a day, but maybe, you know, what works for you at one point in time may not be what you need three years later or 10 years later. And so right. people need to not be afraid like this is why i don't when you know people have in their in their social media profile like the carnivore king the keto queen or the like don't define yourself by your food because then you're going to be so afraid like my whole brand is keto my whole brand is carnivore like then we see this in the vegan community all the time yeah. right when these super popular vegan celebrities God forbid they get caught eating a piece of fish and now their whole empire is crumbled. Right. Um, you are not defined by your diet, by what you do or do not eat. And like, you're not doing something wrong if you feel better. Like, like I know there's a, a girl named Laura, uh, Laura Schoenfeld, who kind of, she, she's more paleo ancestral. Okay. A lot of her clients for very legitimate reasons do better with a little more starch not not junk food not garbage but like beans potatoes things like that and then um there's you can't you can't be afraid to experiment it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong it just means you needed that type of therapeutic intervention for a period of time and now it's something else your hormones could be changing it could be pre or post menopause could make things different um pregnancy it just we shouldn't like box ourselves in so hard and define ourselves by our diets, you know? I agree. I, I, um, I mean, I'm working on a book uh, where it's using carnivore as an elimination diet to then see if you want to add back vegetables, kind of what process or what vegetables, what fruits you should try to incorporate that may be the safest for your type of like autoimmune or if it's because right. you have, um, a, you know, like SIBO or something else. Right. So yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. I think um, we shouldn't limit if we don't need to. Um, and some people just seem to do better on carnivore. Some people do better on keto, like you said. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's like, I don't think, I don't think you necessarily have to reintroduce vegetables or, but like, I think some people can, and they might be so, I don't know. Like I, I just, there's so much fear out there and so much anxiety mm -hmm. over the food. And it, I, I don't know how we got here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I, I mean, maybe this is, you know, like the surgeon sees everything with their own, um, like tools. Um, 
I focus on a lot of gut health. And so I, I believe like if you have SIBO, for example, your body can't tolerate certain foods because you will really get sick. And so I wonder if some of it's that and then some of it's just, you know, like policing of the diet. I don't know. I bet you it's a blend of everything. But, you know, and I think it's also like the standard American diet eating just so much processed food over the years. And I mean, if I don't know if you remember Pottinger's cats, like Maybe mm-hmm. we're in the third generation of the Pottinger's cats and people are getting sick off just eating kind of anything now. And oh, yeah. so, I mean, or, and it can just be the diet too, right? Like I'm branded this. And so therefore I have to only eat that. Otherwise I'm not true to my diet or true to who my brand is now, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, I think hopefully when people see this, they know that, you know, you should find the diet that works for you because at the end of the day, you're not going to get an award. You're not going to get a prize for doing, you know, the most strictest diet um, for just the namesake of the diet. Um, right. One thing I wanted to ask you in your book is, do you talk a bit about, you know, so if you have dieted for so much of your life and you were under eating calories, how, like, how have you seen that people can increase their metabolic rate? Right. So I don't actually address it in the book, how to get out of that. It's just more like you might be regaining that bone mass and that muscle mass that you lost. But I, I think um, I'm going to stay my main answer and then kind of explain it because I don't, I don't like to give this answer, but I do think it's the answer. Okay. You really have to put more muscle mass on because muscle mass is hungry for calories it's hungry for energy even like just to maintain muscle is metabolically expensive so even when you're just laying on the couch if you are a more muscular person your metabolic rate is higher your caloric needs are higher just to maintain that tissue mass this is why bodybuilders like professional athletes can eat a ton it's not because they're working out you know all day long they're not they train for a couple hours and then they sit around most of the day right um, I mean, they are probably burning, burning more during that activity than the average person, but just because they have so much muscle. So I do think, um, and, and the reason I don't like to say that is because I don't like weightlifting a whole lot. I, I've forced myself to do it the last few months because I, I used to do it and I enjoyed it and then I kind of stopped enjoying it and I was away from it for a while and I've recently gotten back into it and I, I did have to force myself. I'm, I'm getting back to the point where I look forward to it again, but I, I realized that a lot of people just don't like it. Right. But I do think that's probably one of the, the, the most important ways to do it is to get, get your body to require more energy, you know? And, um, it's, and, and, and again, because we're so focused on weight and shape and physique and, and abs and the Michelle Obama arms, you know, we're so focused on this that we forget that it is so critically important to have muscle as you age. Sarcopenia, like the loss of muscle mass, is that's when you fall and you break a hip because you don't even have the muscle mass to brace yourself in a fall to catch yourself. You fall, you break a hip, you break an ankle, and now you've lost your independence. You cannot live by yourself if you're 79 and you broke a hip. You cannot climb a flight of stairs anymore. So like the more muscle you can build, and I'm not saying you have to be some kind of huge bodybuilder, but the stronger you can become, the more independent you will be into your old age, the more mobility you'll maintain. So that is actually what gets me to lift now rather than like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. It's more like I want to be able to get out of a chair under my own power when I'm 85. I want to be able to carry my own grocery bags out of the car. So um, do you have other, other than that? It's 
I think now this this is like unscientific, okay. but I do think there is just a period of time where you just have to eat more, and you have to accept the fact I'm gonna gain some weight. I'm gonna gain some weight. It's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be hard, and then my body's gonna get to that point where it's okay to let it go. Do you have? I mean, I know we don't like measuring and stuff, but do you sort of recommend to your clients um, like the what is the minimum amount of protein that you should eat to kind of maintain lean body mass? Yeah, it's not. Um, I hate numbers. I don't like numbers very much, but I um, shamelessly steal and borrow from Ted Naiman, okay. who I think gets a, a lot of things very right. I don't agree with him on everything, but I agree with him on a lot. And I think for the most part, because it, at least from the, maybe not so much in the carnivore world, but in the keto world, people are afraid of protein because right. of the insulin effect and all that. So I see a lot of people under eating protein. So I would say, you know, depending on your size and your activity level, I like Ted Naiman's thing of like one gram of protein per pound of your desired body weight. Okay. So let's say you're a woman and you weigh 200 pounds, but your goal weight is 130 you would eat more like 130. And, and Ted, like Dr. Naiman would even say that's a minimum. Right. That's not like a number to stay under. That's a target to hit and possibly even exceed. I think as long as you're in that general ballpark, you're okay. And it doesn't, again, like it doesn't have to be every single day you sit down with your meal and you pull out your spreadsheet. I, I love food way too much to have an app and a spreadsheet every time I sit down to a meal. But you can just sort of, your meal should be, a, a protein like what's my protein going to be is it going to be chicken beef fish lamb pork whatever and then if you're a carnivore you have a bigger portion of meat or dairy or something if you're keto maybe you have a decent sized piece of animal protein and then whatever vegetable you're going to have but you should um that's i think that's a good general place to start yeah no i i agree with that that's actually my recommendation too i think it's um, I go either also, um, I think the number is 0.85 per current weight or, you know, then also the one gram per pound of um, ideal weight. And then if you're, if you're not sure where you want to fall, I say kind of find a balance in the middle of both. So of your current weight first and your ideal weight, and then you can do grams in between that. But I know there's some diets that, um, you know, they require or they recommend less protein, like the PKD diet. I don't know if you, you know, the paleo med. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're really low protein. I, I definitely agree that they have healing and they show the clinical evidence for it. But I personally think you shouldn't eat that low of protein for too long because they recommend pretty low. Um, but okay, I was just curious. So what does a day of eating look like for you? Um, so it varies. I don't, like I said, I don't do an app. I don't do a spreadsheet. I don't, eat by the math or by the clock. Um, I'm a coffee junkie. So there's always coffee in the morning, usually two cups. Um, I use kind of a mix of heavy cream and half and half, like whatever's handy. Sometimes I use a little splash of both. It's not, there's no rhyme or reason to it, whatever I'm in the mood for. And um, I usually don't eat a lot of, I, I usually have about two meals a day, but I don't, I don't define myself by that. I don't have any specific eating window like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat until three. When I'm really hungry, I eat. Okay. And so I usually, I do try to push it out. And I, I'll usually have my first meal around between two and four in the afternoon. And that first meal is usually relatively small. It could just be like two or three hard boiled eggs and that's it. Or like 
a piece of cheese and a small piece of protein, and then I'll have a much, much bigger meal later in the evening. And so um, if I'm hungrier early in the day, I'll have literally like one slice of cheese or an ounce of almonds or something, something that's small, but something that maybe just psychologically lets me get through and keep going. Um, and I, I don't really do that for like, I'm afraid to eat. It's more like I'm hungry, but I'm not super hungry and I don't really want to eat yet. But um, yeah, th there's not a whole, I don't, I don't have a specific window or a time or a number of meals. And um, some days I snack more, some days I graze, but it's. No, I think that. That makes sense that you're metabolically flexible and you're able to eat when you feel that you need to. And sometimes we just want a little bit of energy in the morning. I get it. It completely makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I do, I do definitely give some thought to like, I'm not, I don't want to be grazing all day. Like I'm not in the, like I work from home, so it's hard. And I have a one bedroom up on my fridge is right there. Like, <laughs> like, you know, 10 feet away from where I work is the fridge. So I do have to be careful. Like, I don't need to be grazing all day. So I, I try to limit it just for that. Like I've been sitting at my computer all day. Do I really like how hungry should I be? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Do you fast at all or do you try fasting? It doesn't sound like you do, but I'm just, I don't, I don't do any long-term fasting. I, I want to because I feel like I should at least experience what that feels like. I've done, I, the longest I've ever gone is probably about, 50 something hours, like a little more than two days, but it, it wasn't even deliberate. It was years ago. I just honestly wasn't hungry. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, not hungry. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't do any deliberate, like I said, I don't have any specific window and I don't, um, I think that can be useful though, especially if, if you know that like, you just tend to overeat or you tend to graze. And if you set a hard and fast rule for you, like, like 10 o'clock, the kitchen is closed or 6 p.m., whatever time it is, and, and that's it for the day, then that can be really helpful. But I also, you know, you and I as coaches, we see the dark side of this because I get people writing to me that are like, feel guilty. I was supposed to fast for 96 hours and I only made it to 92 or like, like, again, they think, they think it's this black and white you're either engaging in autophagy where you're preventing cancer and all this good stuff is happening, or you're literally making yourself sick because of mTOR and whatever. And it does not work that way. It's all a spectrum. It's all a great. It's not like autophagy automatically flips on at 16 hours. But if you start eating at 15 hours and 58 minutes, then you're screwed. Like, so I, I see the negative yeah. sort of, um, thought patterns that fasting can instill. And so I, I'm much more in favor of like a time restricted, and I, even the semantics, again, I prefer to call it time restricted eating because if you're eating two meals a day or even one meal a day, are you really fasting? Right. Fasting is fasting, eating is eating. But if you, but also I like, I want people to eat by hunger. You shouldn't, like, if you're really, really hungry and you're, it's, it's not a donut craving, you're really actually hungry and, and, and you want the pork chop or you want the, the broccoli and the, and the steak, you should be able to eat it. It shouldn't be like, I'm so hungry, but I'm not allowed to eat until four. Or like, maybe you're not, you're not hungry, but like, my eating window is going to close in 10 minutes. If I don't eat now, I'm not going to, I, 
think that's ridiculous. Now, I, I will say, though, because of that addiction aspect, if you, if you feel like you can't trust your hunger signals, if you need an outside rule or parameter for yourself because you don't, you don't know how to listen to your body yet, then it, it, is, it can be helpful to say, I, I'm only eating between noon and 6 p.m. or whatever you choose. I, I think it can be helpful, but I, I see the dark side of it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, um, so I don't have my clients fast initially, I'd want them to heal. And then as they kind of let go of certain carbs, um, you know, especially the processed carbs, then as they are healing, and they kind of naturally get into a rhythm of eating maybe like two, three times a day, then if they want to fast a little, depending on where their kind of mental health is with food addiction, that's when we can kind of like look into it. But you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people that do come into this space, unfortunately, have, you know, not the greatest relationship with food, maybe they've um, had an eating disorder in the past, or maybe they've just um, under ate for so long. And so, you know, they don't, they also can't read their hunger cues, because I get that a lot. I get, you always say to mindfully eat and stop, you know, eat when you're hungry, and then stop when you're full. But um, I could eat like six pounds of meat and not be full. And so, there, it, I think it's very bio-individual again. It just comes down to that. Um, there's no fasting is good for everyone or fasting is not good for everyone. It really depends on your background and, you know, how much support your body needs. So I think, you know, like I'm in agreement with you. I think I do see a lot of the dark side. I absolutely agree. But I also deal with clients that, you know, they, they aren't ready to or they're not willing to accept that they're going to gain a ton of weight or a good amount of weight to build that lean body mass. And so then fasting can be an option to increase your BMR. But I don't know if they're mentally ready to do that either, right? So it's trying to figure out what's best for your individual client and something yeah. is not that easy. No. <laughs> One thing I, I can say about the fat loss book is that um, something that I see a lot, I don't know if you see this a lot, I see it all the time because again, like I, I, I probably have a biased sample because people who are coming to me are the ones that are having a hard time, right? Oh, yeah, if keto sure. was working or, or whatever diet they were doing was working, they wouldn't need my help. They would, so people write to me because there's some kind of roadblock. So I see a lot of undiagnosed hypothyroidism or sometimes people know they have hypothyroidism and they're on medication but they're not on the right type or the right dose so they still have a really hard time losing weight i see this all the time and so there's a whole chapter in the book on i mean the the chapter i might be a little biased i think that the thyroid chapter alone is worth the price of the book because i i just there's so many people dealing with this who don't know that this is a problem because no one's ever told them or right. they think they're on this medicine, but they've never, th okay, I've been on Synthroid or Levothyroxine for a year. And I say, okay, but you still have, I'm looking at your paperwork. You still have all the signs and symptoms of low thyroid. Clearly this medicine is not working. Why haven't you gone to your doctor and said, Hey, can I have a higher dose? Or is there some other type of medication I can try? It just, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people take medication and they may not, um, 
um, they may not, you know, be taking the right medicine. Um, one thing I will tell you is um, I was listening to a podcast recently, but he was doing a gut health, theory, uh, gut health podcast. Um, and they talk about how a lot of people are misdiagnosed for thyroid. So maybe um, it may be underactive thyroid, or it may just be that they have other gut issues that they need to support and they're not able to digest their nutrients. Well, and so yeah. That- that affects their thyroid. Okay. Yeah, so he was, they were talking about that. So one, they do agree that um, a lot of people get misdiagnosed with thyroid issues. Um, yeah. And it could be some other thyroid like you're talking about, or, or it could just be that they have gut issues. And, you know, again, so, it, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's interesting, because I think um, some people who do keto or carnivore that have a thyroid problem notice that it gets better. And they yep. can actually like wean off or stop their medication. And of course, always with doctors, supervision, you know, we're not giving medical advice here. Yes. Um, they find that their thyroid condition gets better. And that tends to be more common with Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune, which we would assume could be like a gut related thing. So if you're fixing your gut with carnivore or keto, of course, that's going to get better. I personally have a thyroid issue. It's not the autoimmune. So keto is not really helping me. I, I take medication. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think that there's, I, I probably look for thyroid where it isn't because I'm biased toward it, but I, I, I do think it's missed a lot, but I, you're right that it's, um, it's easy to kind of, oh, it must be thyroid. Well, no, it could be these other six things too. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, it's hard because so many symptoms of so many things all are kind of similar. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, let's shift and talk about your other um, book, the Alzheimer's Antidote. You know, I reference your book to everybody that talks oh, about Alzheimer's, <laughs> and they're saying, you know, a lot of people say it's just genetic. And um, so, one of my family members, their father has it, and um, all their his brothers have it. And so, I was saying, well, if he changed his diet, maybe because I know that diabetes also runs in their family. And I talk about how it's possibly, you know, diabetes type three, and you know, they're, they just believe for sure that it is genetic because everybody else in their family has it. Right. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your book and, you know, why it could be a, have something to do with glucose? Yeah, sure. So you said, you kind of said the magic phrase. They, they regularly refer to Alzheimer's disease now as type 3 diabetes or diabetes of the brain. And where that comes from is the main problem in the brain of somebody with Alzheimer's is that the brain is not able to metabolize glucose properly anymore. So it can't convert glucose into energy. And the brain is an energy pig. The brain needs energy even when you're sleeping, even when you're like laying on the couch doing nothing, your brain needs a constant supply of energy. And so Alzheimer's is a metabolic problem. And by metabolic, I mean it has to do with the way the brain is getting energy. And it's basically Alzheimer's is a fuel shortage in the brain. It's an energy crisis, and the neurons are starving. And because they are starving, they are withering and shrinking and atrophying. And you can actually see this on an MRI. You can see that the physical matter of the brain is shrinking and deteriorating. And they can also measure the brain's uptake of glucose. And... um, the thing, the thing is, though, it's, and they call it type 3 diabetes, except when we talk about diabetes, it's only ever blood sugar, right? They only ever diagnose type 2 diabetes talking about blood glucose, your fasting glucose, your A1C, or the oral glucose tolerance test. And there's all these millions of people out there, that's not an exaggeration, millions of people 
with totally normal blood glucose, but very high insulin all the time, this chronic hyperinsulinemia. So they're not diabetic because the blood sugar is normal, but they have sky high insulin. And the sky high insulin is a huge risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. And it also, we know, it is literally the cause of PCOS. It's not just associated, it is the cause. It also either causes or exacerbates um, prostate enlargement, the BPH, uh, skin tags, um, erectile dysfunction with no known other cause, non-alcoholic fatty liver, like all of this um, idiopathic hypertension, like high blood pressure and no one knows why, it's almost always high insulin. Again, either causing it or if not causing it, making it worse. And so the, the connections now between metabolic syndrome and cognitive decline are so strong. Not only do they have the phrase type 3 diabetes, they have the phrase metabolic cognitive syndrome. You can look this up in PubMed. Like when I say they, I mean researchers, doctors, PhDs. I didn't make any of this stuff up. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Like, like we... There is a genetic component to Alzheimer's. There is a specific gene that massively increases risk, but not everybody with Alzheimer's disease has this gene. And plenty of people all around the world have this gene and don't develop Alzheimer's. So there's, it's the gene all by itself. The gene does not cause Alzheimer's. It's, it's the ApoE4 gene. People have probably heard of it. It does make you much, much more susceptible in the context of the modern diet and lifestyle, right? There are tribes in Nigeria that have a very high prevalence of this particular gene. They don't have Alzheimer's disease because they don't eat and live like we do in the industrialized world. If, yeah. if you are starting to show signs of decline and then you were to shift the diet to a ketogenic diet, are there studies that show that there's improvement or maybe not improvement of the starved cells, but that there's just less decline of starved cells. Yeah. So there are some clinical trials. Now people may have heard of this Dr. Dale Bredesen. He has a book called the end of Alzheimer's where he's done some like small, small, but very promising trials of his protocol, which is like a multi intervention. It's, it's a lowish carb Mediterranean type diet plus exercise, meditation, a lot of supplementation, all kinds of different stuff sleep, stress, you know, whatever. Um, and they are finding that people can get significant improvement in cognitive impairment. Nobody with like severe, severe end stage Alzheimer's, but people that are on the path that have diagnosed mild cognitive impairment, and they've done some other interventions with a ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting and exercise were also massive, massive improve documented improvements on like cognitive testing scores and, and assessments. So it can be improved. Now, I, I want to be clear, a ketogenic diet, we have no evidence yet that it is a cure for Alzheimer's or that it reverses it. Um, and it doesn't, it's not as effective in everybody. Some people respond really well, some people not so much. Um, but every single pharmaceutical drug right now that exists for Alzheimer's is a total failure. In the very best scenario, it slows the decline. You still get worse, you just get worse more slowly. There's nothing available right now that stops it or reverses it. And what's so promising, I mean, the whole rationale of doing a ketogenic diet, if you're having a cognitive problem, 
is because even though the brain is not processing glucose properly, the, the, the Alzheimer's brain, a brain with dementia, will still take up and use ketones. So if the problem is that there's this fuel shortage and the brain is starving, can we feed it something else? Can we give it some alternative fuel? We can, and it's ketones. And, and they've done human studies, like not just in rats, not just in yeast cells and petri dishes, but in actual humans with mild cognitive impairment or with Alzheimer's. And it's, it's really promising. Again, it's not like a, a slam dunk, but based on the like biochemical mechanisms at work, it makes every bit of sense that this is worth trying. And, right. and the thing is too, you know, you were saying about if you're starting to show signs and symptoms, the main problem is this lack of fuel burning of glucose in the brain. This is measurable in people as young as their 30s and 40s. That's what people need to realize. Just like type 2 diabetes doesn't happen overnight, you know, your insulin, your high insulin is keeping that glucose in check for years and years and years. And it's only when that can no longer happen. That's when the blood sugar rises. But you've had a metabolic problem going on for a long time. And it's the same thing in Alzheimer's. You might, like, the disease, the disease of Alzheimer's is the fuel shortage energy crisis. The symptom is memory loss. The symptom is the personality changes and the behavioral changes. So, um, you know, they used to joke and call it old timers disease, but we are no longer talking about elderly people. We're talking about people in their 50s and 60s starting to become afflicted with this early onset. And the thing is though, if your brain in your 30s and 40s is all, and they can measure this by PET scan, it's already using less glucose than a, than a healthy brain, but your brain is compensating. You have no signs and symptoms. You have no awareness that there's a problem. It's only when the problem is so severe and the damage is so widespread. Now you start showing signs and symptoms because your brain can no longer compensate. But by the time you're showing those symptoms, the problem is already really advanced. And I think that's why it's partially so hard to make a dent. Plus we're chasing the wrong targets altogether, but why it's so hard to make a dent in this because like, they, they call it mild cognitive impairment. I'm sorry. By the time you have those problems, there's nothing mild about it. It's like having pre-diabetes. There's no, there's no pre about it. You, you're, you're in trouble, you know, and, it, and it's the same with Alzheimer's. It's interesting. So if, they, if there are clinical studies and the current pharmaceutical drugs kind of show no real benefits other than kind of slowing down the process, um, and if this is labeled type three diabetes, why, why do you think that a lot of doctors are not using this whole food as a therapy source? I think that that's a, that's a great question. And I, I don't know the answer. My guess, my guess is, are that, um, number one, it's just taking a very long time for this information to trickle down to the average family doctor's office and the average neurologist. But I'll, I'll tell you what. I am infuriated. Like if you go to the Alzheimer's Association website, there is zero, not one mention about this brain glucose starvation problem, not one thing. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I refuse to believe that the PhDs and MDs, the, the world's leading experts at this organization, that they're not aware that this is a factor. 
And I'm not saying it's the only factor, but it's certainly a big one. And for there to be no mention at all of this is, is a crime. And then I think the other, the other part of this is that Alzheimer's, now we, there's a lot we don't know, right? There's a lot of unanswered questions. I'm, I'm not saying we have all the answers, but so Alzheimer's seems so mysterious and so complicated and so frightening. How could a diet possibly have any effect, right? How could this possibly be a food thing? There's no way this could be a food thing. In the same way, cardio, like nobody argues. How come nobody argues anymore that type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular disease or obesity, nobody pretends like diet and lifestyle don't play a role. We take, of, of course, diet plays a role. Why do we dismiss that possibility in Alzheimer's? Oh, this couldn't possibly be diet and lifestyle. Why wouldn't it be when every single other chronic degenerative metabolic disorder is? But, but I, I think that's, that's why it's easy for a doctor to be like, this is so complex, there's, it, it can't possibly be the diet. Right. And I think it's a lot of it is, you know, when people blame the genetics, right? So when they're like, oh, it's because you have the APOE, you know, the gene and, um, it's kind of like how people think cancer is only because of genetics as well, right? When nowadays, one in three women, one out of three women will get breast cancer, right? It's not just genetics. But I think when you blame the genetics, you're like, it's out of my hands. It's yeah. just, I was born with it, or I have these bad genes, or it just runs in my family. And it's no longer the, because it's, it's a lot of hard work, right? It's hard work for people that have cancer or that have um, Alzheimer's who have to change their diet when they're struggling with these, you know, health issues. But maybe if they did change their diet, it, they could be around a lot longer. And I think it's easier not to maybe believe that. Um, that's my rationale. Yeah. And it is, um, I think some people get to a point where, you know, with, with things like, like Alzheimer's disease, certain people might respond really quickly to a ketogenic diet or even not even a ketogenic diet, but to like exogenous ketones or MCT. I mean, a lot of the research is, is on MCT oil. It's not even on the ketogenic diet. It's just giving people some way of having ketones. Um, but I think if, if you're going to do the diet and lifestyle change, it could take time to see the, the benefits and, and to have an impact. And it's, I can't blame people for doing it for maybe three weeks. And if there's no change, well, why bother? Why keep going? You know, like we say, even before with the weight loss, it's hard enough when your only goal is losing weight, it's easy to give up, let alone like you have such a more severe problem and, and you're not seeing any benefit. I, I think with some of these protocols, it could take weeks or months and it's not a reason to give up. It's a reason to commit for the long haul and say, I'm aware that I might not notice any benefit until three months in, but I got to just keep going. You know, as we're wrapping up, I think that's a great question to just ask you in general is, you know, whether somebody um, knows somebody that may be getting Alzheimer's, whether it's because they want to do low carb for weight loss, um, weight loss, you know, what are some general tips or recommendations that you would give someone that's, you know, venturing into carnivore or keto and, you know, in the space of basically limiting um, what would, what have you seen to be some of like your most successful tips in, you know, working with your clients or in the space for, for what goal, like for general health or for like brain, um, maybe or? just, uh, for sticking to the, uh, sticking to it. Like what, oh. 
Okay. Um, I, I think, <laughs> I think keeping it simple really, really helps because I think if you think you have to track everything and weigh and measure and record and you have to calculate precisely and you have to, I can only have this many grams or I have to get at least that many grams. It makes it so much more difficult than it needs to be. And I think there's a time and place for that down the line. When you're brand new, just get rid of the carbs. You know, just get rid of the carbs and go from there. See, see how far that takes you. And then if you're not happy, then, okay, am I still eating too many carbs? Am I eating too much fat? Is my body not digesting the vegetables properly and I should try carnivore? I mean, like, it's the more cumbersome you make it to begin with the harder it's going to be you have to make this as easy a transition as possible and and with that in mind too you know i live alone so like there's no one else's food here if you're in a household where there's other people if you can get your spouse on board or your housemate or whoever it is you know i understand the kids are going to want their goldfish crackers or whatever which you could get your kids to do this if you wanted to but i think like having a buddy, have somebody that you can work with or a coach or something. Um, I, I just think the simpler you keep it, the more likely you are to stick to it because it just is too, if, if you're going to be checking your glucose and checking your ketones, who's going to, you know, like it's okay. I know you measure, it's okay to measure, but you don't have to do that when you're brand new starting out. Right, right. And what about, what about some tips for weight loss? Um, I think if you're brand new to this, don't even worry about your weight for a couple of weeks. Let yourself get adjusted. If you're brand new, this is a radical change. It's a radical, if you're used to waking up and having your orange juice and your muffin and your cereal, and now you're either having nothing or you're just having coffee or you're having bacon and eggs, it's a really big change. You're not just going to go to the drive-thru and get your Big Mac and fries. You know, it's, let yourself get adjusted. Learn how it feels to be burning fat. Learn how it feels to be off that blood sugar roller coaster. And then let the, because chances are you're going to lose a little bit of weight anyway without even trying. When you get the carbs down really low at first, weight is going to melt off you at first. And then it's going to slow down. And, and the larger you are when you start, the, the more quickly the weight will come off at first. If you're only looking to lose five or 10 pounds, it's going to be harder and slower the whole time. Yeah. But I agree yeah, with the weight, just get adjusted to the diet first. I, and I would even say, don't even worry about how much you're eating. Just eat totally. Like if you're doing keto, do keto and eat as much as you want, as often as you want. Don't worry about fasting. If you're carnivore, eat as much as you want, when you want, don't worry about fasting, get adjusted. Then let it like, because if you're going to be getting on the scale two days in, three days in, four days in, just, just don't just trust the process. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great advice. I think it's harder for, you know, said than done. But I, I mean, I think, unfortunately, that's the truth. Like what you're saying is right. Um, you know, I always say that a ideal body doesn't want to be very overweight. You know, maybe you won't be as thin as you want, but no body, right? There's no like overweight animals in the wild. People, their bodies want to be at a certain weight and that's kind of health. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think if people trust the process and not overly focus on how much am I eating today? Is this enough? Am I eating enough fat? Because that brings just added stress. And then you may end up overeating because there's just so much stress in the whole process of eating. 
Um, and I think it could derail staying on the diet and also losing weight. Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, I do think the fat loss will probably come yeah. just by, because it's such a dramatic change, it will come. And then when it kind of slows down, you might have to like mess around with, with some stuff. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, Thank you so much for your time. Um, where can people find you? And I'll link to everything in the notes. I'll link to your books and your, I think you have a group coaching thing too, that I think I saw. Um, it's sort of, it's, they can find it on, it's patreon.com slash two nutrition. I have a brand new sort of group that um, it's two calls a week for now. And it's for the people that struggle with food addiction and binge eating or compulsive overeating. Um, me included. And it's just a place where we can be 100% honest and we can share without shame and without judgment and just help each other through it. And um, it is, it's $25 a month on Patreon because I had to, this is, I, I need this to be an absolutely safe, sacred space where people can be honest and, and have no fear of judgment. We ha I had to set the bar to keep all the trolls and haters away and nobody's going to pay $25 a month to come in and be a jerk. And right. be, you know, so um, I, I, I may lower it in the future because I know it's a little that is steep for some people. Twenty five a month is kind of high, but I, I have to charge something to keep the haters out. <laughs> but um, I am on Patreon, but to nutrition.com is my main site, T-U-I-T nutrition.com. But stallslayer.com is where they can find that new ebook. And um, I'm very active on Twitter. My handle is to nutrition and I do have a YouTube channel, but I think we'll just link to everything so. yeah I'll add, I'll add it all to the notes well Great. thank you so much for your time um this has been a, really helpful and i think you know i think we really need to get more of the message out there that not everyone's going to be a size two right out the gate and but you know that doesn't mean that this diet isn't working right this diet has right. so many healing benefits and i mean that's really like the message i'm trying to get across so well thank yeah. you so much for your time okay thanks for having me take care all right, I hope you guys found this video helpful. Amy is a delight. She is so funny. If you guys watch any of her YouTube videos, she is such joy to watch and she is so smart and she has so much information to share. I will link to some of her videos that she is really good and she's honest and real and vulnerable and I just love that about her. I will link to all her information below, but I hope you guys realize that Sometimes what we see on social media isn't always real and that we need to find our own journeys. Yes, we can learn from anecdotal stories, but at the end of the day, there is no cookie cutter answer or meat cutter answer. And we need to figure out what works best for us because that is the best way for you and only you will know that. And you will know that by figuring it out yourself. All right guys, you know the drill, eat a lot of meat, take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. Take care, I'll talk to you soon, bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com articles. 
You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.